definition of play that we're working with is play is voluntary, enjoyable, non-utilitarian activity that provides rest from our normal labors. Okay? So play is purposeless but meaningful. There's no immediate goal past enjoying the play itself. Okay, so why? We asked for a raise of hands. One or two people raise their hands. Why have we not heard anything about a theology of play? Why has no one heard about Jürgen Moltmann's book, A Theology of Play? Why is this just totally, uh, people are totally unaware of theology of play? A couple, couple reasons. Uh, first is the Protestant work ethic in the sense that it's been overdone. Okay, um, that is the idea that d- the Protestant work ethic, diligence, discipline, and, and even frugality, even are the result of a person's of the values espoused by the Protestant faith. In fact, Max Weber wrote a book called "The Protestant Ethic and the Rise of Capitalism," um, Protestant, Protestant work ethic and the Rise of Capitalism collection of essays, where he talks about how capitalism and getting it done and really beating the bushes and making money and being successful stems particularly from. Uh, a Protestant work ethics grounded in theology of Protestant reformers and particularly Calvinism. But listen to this quote from Cotton Mather here, a, a, a Puritan. This is where I say it, we over-index, and the Puritans have a very, very poor in most cases, not all, they're a mixed bag, but in most cases they, have a very, they had a very, very underdeveloped theology of play. Let your business engross most of your time. Tis not now and then an hour at your business that will do. Be stirring about your business as early as tis convenient. Keep close to your business until it be convenient. You should leave it off. Okay? Work. The product, we're working. We're going to be people who work. Very heavy emphasis um, uh, in the writings of the Puritans. The second is industrialization. We are in a time, more so now than ever, where a premium is put on output and efficiency. Right? We want... you. I, I was going to order something on Amazon yesterday, and it wasn't two-day prime, and I was like, I can't get that. <laughs> I can't wait three days. Um, and, and so and so we are, uh, of course, I'm, oh, actually, I wasn't joking. I'm sorry. I really did believe it. <laughs> but anyway, so a premium on output and efficiency. How much can we get done? So we have all these limited, this limited amount of time in the day, limited space. So how can we be the most efficient the most effective because what we have been told is that that is the most that is the best way to steward your time by being the most productive by being the most productive getting the most done is being the best steward of our time um, and a lot of that has come about as an industri- as, a, as a result of industrialization technology the world at my fingertips <coughs> excuse me finally lack of felt need you might think does anyone really need instruction on how to play <laughs> It's like can't the you know can't the world teach the church how to play? It's like you go to church to learn the Bible. Is there really does someone need help learning how like thinking about how to play? And I would say for sure, absolutely, we need help learning how to play as Christians. Uh, but most time we just learn it from the world. Kind of you learn your play from the world, you learn your Bible from the church, and you try to make you try to put them together the best you can. Okay, so lack of felt need. So let's talk, uh, let's talk a little bit about play. First, God at play. And again, I want to I reiterate the idea of play being a larger category than a lot of us might initially think. So, I didn't even take a sip of this. So like play, the adornments of creation 
are meaningful but not necessary. Think about that. God did not make a world of bare efficiency. Think about the world God could have made. With all of the major aspects of a theology of redemption and the gospel, but it was just a world that happened to be ugly with no music. You still get it done. You still get it, you can still get everything done about the gospel story in a world with no art, no music, where the lilies aren't adorned, where uh, the heavens don't declare the glory. I mean, you could have made a, a kind of gruel world that was based just on efficiency. There, there are there, but but creation is adorned in a way that is very meaningful, but is not at all necessary. And the creation psalms are some of the best examples of this. Again, the heavens declaring the glory of God, and the skies proclaiming His handiwork. You know what we would call handiwork when people do when we do handiwork? We call it things like crafts or remodeling a a bathroom in a way that is excellent, right? That's handiwork. It says the skies pro- proclaim His craftsmanship. It's not just utilitarian. God could have figured out another way to get, you know, light up in the heavens, okay? There's something beautiful about it. And then the famous passage from Matthew 6. And this is particularly uh, particularly a good example. Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow thrown into the oven, will he not uh, much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So here's the picture. It's like the kid who builds this, like the kid, like my kid, who builds this incredible thing. It's a marble world. It's a Lego tower, whatever. It's awesome. And then what do they do? They kick the whole thing down. Let's do it again. Okay, so, so in that moment, that has no utilitarian function for them. My son isn't building those things to achieve something uh, at all. He's building it because he enjoys it. Okay? He's building it. It's purposeless. It's not going to go serve as a function in our house, even as a decorative artifact anywhere. It, it is the enjoyment of actually constructing it. And in this case, it's the exact same thing. So God takes His time. He is crafting lilies of the field. And you say, why? They, they just get thrown. It's like the grass of the field. And it's not only... Uh, it, it, it does it not last. It doesn't last very long and it just gets thrown into the oven. And you're telling me that God spends enough time on that so that it was adorned more than Solomon in all of his glory. Now, why would God do that? Why would God spend... Why would God... Because what I would suggest is in our larger concept, God is at play. What I'm suggesting is that God is at play because he delighted to do so. He took delight in doing so because he can. Now, for you and I to spend all that effort, for example, um, to have it just thrown into the oven and say, well, that would just be, that's just too much effort. I need a smaller goal. But God has unlimited causal resources. God's not limited in what he can do. Um, and so he makes these things beautiful. Listen to one, Psalm 104, 25 and 26. I love this. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teams with, with teams with creatures innumerable, living things both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan, which you form to play in it. Now, I have the, I have the alternate translation down at the bottom, and it's, it's, you can, it's kind of hard to choose which one is the actual, actually the correct translation, but the other translation of that Hebrew there is which you form to play with. Okay? <clears throat> You form to play with. So the picture is either 
God forming the Leviathan, and we'll punt on what even the Leviathan is. We don't need to hear any theories about that. But here's the sea. There's a Leviathan either playing in it. God made that to play to play in the sea, or He made it perhaps to play with the Leviathan. Okay, and 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 that has a, a ring of plausibility to it, right? Because uh, my understanding is that there are tons of animals that are that we've never even really seen alive that are now extinct. You can talk to people who know more about the science than me, but my understanding is there are tons of animals and there are tons of things um, that have existed and they're down in the sea and all the rest and no one's really ever seen them, no one's ever eaten one, no one's ever done any of it. And you could ask a question, and I think it was Dr. Piper who asked the questions, like maybe God made a lot of these things just because he thought it was cool to watch them swim around. Well, what, I mean, it's not like they don't seem to be serving any other utilitarian purpose. Okay, again, God could have just made fish that swam on top so people could spear them and eat. I mean, you know, it, it, but that's not it. That's not it. God raised the Leviathan to play in the sea and perhaps God is playing, playing with it and getting enjoyment out of it. And he doesn't care that anyone else doesn't see it because it's his. It's his Leviathan swimming about. Okay? God at play. So he, God took, takes great delight creating a world of wonder and then people to wow. God creates a world of wonder and then people to wow, but the people to wow don't get to see all the wonder. There are some things that are, ju- that are just for God, it seems. Okay? There are some things that are just for God. Okay? So play um, not only is a larger category than a lot of us are maybe used to thinking about, but play does not have to be flippant and silly. Okay? It doesn't have to be silly. It doesn't have to be flippant like some you know, mindless IQ-lowering party game that you hate that you always have to play or something. Uh, it can be something that is serious in one sense, or, or, or not somber, but but it's just not silly or flippant, just like this. So we have God at play in Scripture. Let's look at uh, creatures at play briefly. So unsurprisingly, creativity as divine image bearers is where we're going to see a lot of play. So as those who reflect God in virtue of being, excuse me, bearing the divine image, we too produce meaningful but unnecessary products that reflect divine action and enrich the world. I put music, art, poetry, dance, all of these things. The thing is, we don't need any of these things to get things done in life. You don't, any, you don't need any of it to eat and reproduce. You don't need any of it to make money. You don't need any of that. All of these things are adornments that are non-essential. Okay? They are non-essential. And now you can say, well... My life wouldn't be anything without those things. Fair enough. But that doesn't mean... But, but that's because there's a certain kind of play that is essential to your life. We're going to talk about that. Okay? Fair enough. But, but nevertheless, these things are play. And so we play, we sing, we dance, and we create art, and we create poetry. And when we do that, we reflect God who has created. That's just coming out of the last section there. Okay? Second, games. And I could do a whole teaching on games. There's another, so there's a whole section in the literature on play, but then there's a whole subsection on games. Like, what, what is a game? What counts as a game? What are we doing? So, here's what a game is when you think about it. And here's why this is under the creativity section. Games, and here's a great example right here. There's one, a game sitting on the table where you enter an imaginary world uh, trying to turn Mars into a livable uh, planet. Games are imaginary realms created with fabricated goals, obstacles, rewards, and rules that participants willingly submit themselves to for the purpose of pleasure. Okay? 
When, it, when you play a game, you enter into a world that has been created and everyone is agreeing on certain roles in the world, certain goals, certain artificially constructed challenges. So let's talk about, for example, basketball. Okay, so basketball. What if I, so I start out explaining basketball to someone? Um, okay, so there's a, there's a hoop and uh, you put the, you, the ball, we're going to create the goal and the ball goes in the hoop. All right, I'm going to walk. Hold on, wait, wait, wait. You can't, you can't walk. You, have to, you can't hold it. That's called a travel. you got to dribble it. Oh, i got to dribble it. Well, that makes it harder. Okay, so now I'm, now I'm stacking up obstacles. Here's another obstacle. I'm going to go put it in the hoop right here. Oh, no, wait, wait, wait. It's up high. Wait, wait. You're saying i got to dribble the ball, and it's well, how am I going to get there? Oh, you have to shoot it. You have to shoot it up there. You can't just put it in there unless you're Mamadou Njai. And just stick, <laughs> stick it in there. If you all remember Mamadou from Duke. Some of you all don't know who it is, but. That's a real person. I just make that up. Okay, uh, he's enormous. Uh, well, okay. So I'm sure saying I'm dribbling. All right. So here's the game. So I'm dribbling, and then, oh wait, no, someone can take it from me. Wait. So we're stacking. So all of a sudden we're okay. So I'm gonna run up way over. Oh wait, no wait. Over there is out of bounds. If you go out of there, you got to give it to the other team. You see what we're doing? We're coming together and we're creating a goal, an arbitrary goal, a ball going through a circle. And then after we have a goal, we are artificially creating obstacles. And then we surround those obstacles with rules. And then the players enter that imaginary world and everyone submits to these new identities and these new rules. That's creation. That's creativity. Everyone is participating. Okay? That's why we love games so much. Again, board games might not be your thing, but play in the sense of, of game maybe a little bit more narrowly most people really enjoy games, and it is a result of creativity. We are at play. So we, so we reflect a good God in our play because we are creating. We are making imaginary realms. We are fashioning things. So God built play, particularly enjoying food and drink with family and friends, into the religious calendar of Israel. So you have all of the feasts. Remember from Nehemiah 8 that I just recently preached on when the people were... They hear Ezra read the law, they, they kind of react, they're sad because of, hey, we're not exactly measuring up here. Um, and how, how, do they, how are they encouraged? It says, then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to the Lord our God. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine. Feast of tabernacles. Everyone's going to make a little hut. Everyone's going to camp out. Everyone's going to eat uh, the best meat that you have. That's the fat. That's the, the fattest portion of the meat. It's got the most flavor. The sweetest wine. Notice, this isn't like everyone eat their oatmeal and fast and pray. Because that would have got it done if he was just... This is not just sustaining the body. This is extra, as the millennial folks say. This is extra. Okay? Why? God built being extra in, into the... Am I, do what? You were millennial. <laughs> I I I I admit that I guess I guess age wise I do count. I'm not sure I have a lot of yes. I can't relate very well, but I am technically I guess uh, a millennial. Okay. Uh, so the multiple feasts. So part. Do you hear this? Partying. That's what it is. Can we just call it what it is? It's partying. God built partying with family and friends into the religious calendar. Like that was a part of it. And it wasn't just economy food from Walmart. It was, no, eat and drink the best stuff. Party before me. Have joy. I want you to play. 
I want you to hang out. Well, why though? We, we, could, we could save and we could perhaps... No, because this is the purpose of it. It's to have this kind of joy before me. Okay? This is the very purpose. So God built play into the religious calendar. Um, finally, oh no, not finally. Um, next. Often included as an element of worship, song and instrumental music are recurring examples of play in Scripture with Jubal, descendant of Cain, being the father of all those who play the lyre and pipe. So play was not, all, was not you know, religion, just whatever religion, does not have the market on musical instruments. I mean, here is an example where musical instruments of the lyre and pipe is attributed to a descendant of Cain who's not part of the, 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 the chosen line, right, the promised line. So people have always played. Um, Psalm 137, 1 through 4 gives an example of how, not surprisingly, the people in Babylon wanted to hear songs. In this case, they wanted to hear songs from the people of Judah, and they're wondering, how can we do this? Listen to what it says. By the waters of Babylon, so this is at Babylon, Judah, people who are in cap- Babylonian captivity. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our lyres. For there our captors required of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, uh, 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 sing us one of the songs of Zion. You know what? Everyone's, you know, everyone's singing their songs. We have a bunch of good songs here in Babylon. Sing us one of the ones from where y'all come from. That's what they're saying. And then, then you have the famous verse 4, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? How, should, how can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Now, I, I mentioned that verse just to say that Song is not just something a part of the Israelite cult, the Jewish religion. Cult not meaning some kind of aberration from Christianity, just a, a religion in general, um, uh, the, the, the organized system. But it's not just a part of that. It is ubiquitous. It's in every culture. Music has, has, has always been in every culture part of play, um, circling up the band, etc., etc. Um, Matthew, what is it? Matthew eleven sixteen through eighteen is what most commentators agree is a reference to a game, and I believe it's the only specific reference to a game in the Bible. But again, it just shows how ubiquitous play is. But to what, the, what, but to what shall I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. What's going on here? You read this verse, you're like, I'm not really sure what that means. You're not, you're not alone. There's a little bit of discussion about what it means, but the best most commentators can come up with is that this is a kid's game that would be played. Okay? They're talking about playmates here. And this is something like, did you ever as a kid play Red Rover, Red Rover? Was that a thing back then? Okay. Uh, okay. Red Rover, Red Rover, send little Timmy back, send little Timmy over. Right? And you had your arms locked, the person next to you, and they would try to break through. Y'all remember that, maybe? And right when little Timmy came, you clotheslined him. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, Mark, you're laughing way too much of that. No, I know. <laughs> no, I would never do that. But other people did, and it's very sad. But uh, so that seems to be what's going on. They aren't responding appropriately. This is um, they're they're playing in a certain way, and maybe the boys are supposed to dance, and then they sang a dirge, a funeral kind of song, but there was no mourning. There wasn't a back-and-forth thing. They weren't playing the game. Um, and so the, these songs as play, this is, remember, you have both there. Songs as play are culturally ubiquitous. They're in every culture playing 
through music and singing. And finally, you have sex. Now, no one, certainly uh, the, the, the larger culture gets this one big time. If I were talking about what does play look like in a college frat house, you'd probably say drink and sex, right? Maybe some other thing, maybe some drugs. Uh, certainly at Alabama. But anyways, I digress. But So while sex has important utilitarian functions, right? What's the utilitarian function of sex? Procreation, right? So it's it obviously has a purpose outside of just itself. However, um, it can also be the pinnacle of play, despite its frequent misuse. So people can get addicted to it so easily. Okay, sex is going to be one of the pinnacles of play. It can be one of the largest rushes uh, anyone uh, can experience. Listen to Proverbs five eighteen through nineteen. Tell me what you what seems utilitarian about this at all. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight and be intoxicated or drunk always in her love. This isn't that let's try to get pregnant again sex, right? That some, some of us have had. This is, this is <laughs> let's enjoy each other, right? Let, 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 let's, let's, not, let, let's not have an agenda past just enjoying this. You understand what I'm saying? Um, so you can have, so, so, so you can certainly have sex with an agenda, a procreative agenda, um, and a, not, not saying that that can't be uh, super pleasurable. But when you, if you were to go into it as okay, we are doing this as a, just to achieve an end, it's not nearly the same. It's not the same kind of play as well. Okay, we're going to enjoy this. We're going to enjoy this. Um, okay, so we've covered quite a we've covered quite a bit here as we've gone through God at play, creatures at play. What does it all lead to? So here's kind of the theological payload, I guess. I want to make an argument. And I'll tell you what. Play as recreation Sabbath. Yes, sir? I don't remember. Maybe I missed it when I was out. But did you happen to mention dance? Yes. Okay. Right. Yes, yes. Dance. Where is dance? In the, yeah, so under creativity, creatures at play, music, art, poetry, dance, etc. There are probably more. Sculpting. Because uh, uh, that seems to be a... Yeah, a, dance, absolutely. More so than gaming in, yeah. the, in the Bible. Dance absolutely, absolutely. Music, art, poetry, dance, all of that. Um, elements of play, certainly. Now, so I don't know if it was... I don't know really why I haven't ever thought of this before, but I was looking at the word recreation... And I've always said, like, if you were trying to teach this word to someone who was just learning the English language, they might mispronounce it. What? Recreation. Re- recreation. So, well, hold on, that's interesting. So, like, is there anything there? Like, well, so, I was, what is the Latin origin of recreation? What's the Latin word recreare, which is just re again with creare, create, it is quite literally to recreate, um, meaning in common usage, to restore or renew and refresh. And in the English first in the French language, then in the English language, it became constantly applied to leisurely activities because they understood something. They understood that that brought refreshment, that brought renewal, that it actually did something meaningful. Okay? Um, And so here's what I'm suggesting. Play has universal appeal. Because everyone longs for new creation rest, even if they don't know God. I'll read that again. It's very important. Play has universal appeal because everyone longs for new creation rest, 
even if they don't know God. So if play, which I'm using synonymously with recreation, it is refreshment, it is renewal, I'm suggesting that there's a reason that has a universal allure. It's not just explained by psychology, it's not just explained by matter and motion. There is a deeper reason why play has universal appeal. And that's because no one can get away from the fact that they desire something past their toil. They desire, and they work even to get to it. The most common expression of this is, I'm, just, I'm living for the weekend. Okay? I'm going to work, 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 and then I get to the weekend, and then I get to play or, or, or do anything other than do my work. Right? People understand they long for something past their toil, which has been made difficult and hard by the fall. And so people long to get past their toil, tainted with sin, to play, to renewal, to refreshment. And so here we are, that, that, that sub-point here. Play's strong universal appeal, therefore, is explained theologically by realizing that to play is to experience a dim yet meaningful foretaste of recreated life. The happiness and excitement of intense play is as close to heaven as many people will ever get. Okay, so let's just pause and talk about that for a second, okay? Play is, is to create again. It is to refresh. It is to renew. But we know the whole story. We know what is coming theologically. We know that refreshment and renewal is coming. We know that a new creation is coming. We know that there will be work, but it will not be tainted by the fall. Um, we know that we will have, even the Jesus kicks off his ministry at a wedding and redemptive history before the new creation, or however you want to exactly understand the sequence of events there, kicks off with the wedding feast, wedding supper of the Lamb. Okay? We're, we're, we're there playing. Play, play bookends, the first miracle of Jesus, John 2, wedding at Cana, and we have the wedding feast that he's, his hour has not yet come to, to, to give himself to provide wine uh, for that particular wedding. And so what I'm suggesting is that when we play, when you enter into something that, well, I'm not doing this to get something further, that's what, we'll, that's, that's what things will be like in the new heavens and new earth. There isn't a next step, right? There's not like the new heavens and new earth, like 2.0 that we're all working to get to. Like at a, past a certain point, there is enjoyment of God and rest. Again, not, not necessarily meaning that you will not work with your hands, but that what we experience now as work that is cumbersome and that is broken by the fall will be a delight. It will be delight and we will have rest for our souls even when we work with our hands. We will love what we're doing. It will feel, I would say that, that play, the feeling of play here and work now will be blended together in a way that we can't understand. Because right now, many of you think, well, here's what I do for a living. I can't imagine doing that as play, right? Or the feeling I get from play doing this. What I'm suggesting in the new heavens and new earth, when our natures are renewed and nature itself is renewed, that even work itself will be accompanied by feelings of excitement and deep fulfillment. And even though they have products themselves, you say, I'm doing it because I just love doing this. I love laboring in a new creation. I love laboring in this new creation. And now I have rest. And I'm not resting to get anything else. I'm enjoying God. I'm doing this because 
for no further reason to enjoy God and to glorify God and have him even enjoy us as we glorify him. Um, So when we play, we taste glory that's been purchased for us. Okay, When we play, we taste glory that is coming and that is purchased for their dim foretaste. And again, for people who don't know Christ, why do you think people seek out so much pleasure? Think about it for a second. Why? Why are they pleasure seekers? Why are they not virtue seekers instead? It's the closest thing to heaven a lot of them will ever get. Okay? They're getting these dim little pictures and their sexual ecstasy or perhaps actual ecstasy uh, uh, drug uh, or uh, alcohol or food or gambling or indulgence in whatever it is. They're, they're not seeking virtue. They're, ser- they're seeking pleasure because that's the pinnacle it, for, from their perspective in this life. That's what you work to get to. I make more money so I can go to Bermuda and, and, and have someone bring me tequila shots on the beach or whatever it is that the person wants to do. Okay, I work... In order to get these experiences, I work in order to play. And the Christian comes in and says, you know, you're on to something there. You're on to something there. But let me tell you why you like play so much. There's a larger story here. And the play that is coming, these are just these bare foretastes of, and that's why you love it. But there is something that is so much more robust that is coming down the way that you are missing out on because you're pursuing play right now as this as though this is your best life now okay but so so that's what i want to explain uh that's what i want to suggest that play has such an allure because is it a dim yet meaningful foretaste of recreated life and the happiness excitement of intense play is as close to heaven as many people uh, will ever get i think that is what theologically explains the drive to play to play um, so, it's no surprise, therefore, to see play included as one of the descriptors of the renewed kingdom on earth, is it? Zechariah 8, 4 and 5. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with staff in hand because of great age, the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. Play. Okay? One of the descriptors, of course, there's many descriptors. It's just one of them. One of the descriptors of the renewed eschatological kingdom. Boys and girls playing in the streets. Isaiah 11, the nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the, on the adder's den. There is going to be play. Play is a concrete descriptor of the new heavens and new earth. And then ultimately, here it is. Ultimately, because play is joyful rest from our labors, play is robust Sabbath. Play is robust Sabbath. Now there's that person who grew up in the Reformed Baptist Church who says, you didn't read Isaiah 58, 13. Let's read it together. It says this, If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, 
Then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And so a lot of people have understood this verse to be meaning that on the Sabbath day, particularly with a very strong Sabbatarian view, that you shouldn't have fun or have any pleasure. Okay? It should be a day of sober-minded self-reflection, napping, rest, whatever. Um, but it's, it's been pointed out by many, many commentators, it's simply a misunderstanding of what pleasure is uh, even trying to get at here. And in fact, you, there's a superscript in almost every single Bible now. You go down to the bottom, and it says, or business. Business. And here's what's really getting after. It's something like, you're doing as you please on my... If you turn back from doing as you please on my Sabbath, this is not saying that you cannot have fun or there is no pleasure on the Sabbath. It's pleasure in this context that particularly comes at the expense of other people. It's pleasure that comes from flouting what God calls people to do. You're going on and doing your own thing and having your and you're, and you're disregarding the Sabbath. That's the problem here. It's not just having fun or... Playing, it's a certain kind of going your own way. In fact, it even says that toward the end of 13 there, if you honor it, not going your own way. And that's how a lot of verses actually translate that. Okay? Do, going your own way. That's how you should understand pleasure, I think, right here uh, in, both, in both cases. Okay? And so I don't think, I think the opposite is true. I think play, because play is voluntary, rest, non-utilitarian, um, rest from our, na- our labors that brings refreshment, that play is robust Sabbath, and we can sprinkle Sabbath into our life in a variety of different ways, and we'll talk about that uh, in a little bit. But everyone, does, everyone enjoys play because everyone longs for Sabbath. We have restless hearts. We want to get to the pinnacle of what we can experience, but what we find is that the pinnacle we can, of what we can experience isn't something that we can experience more of by definition. It's finally getting to the top, and that top, um, in one sense, is play, and I'm suggesting that gets fulfilled in the new heavens and the new earth where enjoyment and pleasure and glory from a macro picture is what it is all about. So that's a, a basic theology of play there, okay? And I have to say there's a lot of speculative things that you could say about play that are very – you say, well, maybe, maybe you think I've said some things that are like way off the mark or highly speculative um, – and I'm happy to take questions about that. But what I've tried to do is pare down the literature because there is a ton of stuff. Well, it stands to reason that this and if this, that this, and this, and this, and that therefore play something about that doesn't even follow from the text. I've tried to give something that's as closely wed to the text as I can with very, very plausible inferences about play uh, without making stuff up because there's, in my opinion, a lot of making up in the theology of play. How does play, however, go awry? We know that you play goes awry. A couple of different ways. The first is overindulgence. Like with every good thing, we have to avoid gluttony. We have to in, in, uh, avoid uh, overindulging, binging pleasure in a way that has num- numerous harmful side effects. That could be neglecting responsibilities in my life because I'm playing. And again... Remember, I think I said this a couple weeks ago from the pulpit, that sin is always on a constant rebranding mission. There is no safe category from sin. Okay, There isn't. You can call it self-care, oh, I'm resting, uh, I, I, I am... I, whatever category you want, sin creeps in and goes... 
hey, I'm trying to be called something else here, and I, this would be a really good cover for me. Okay, this would be great. Can I get like a T-shirt or a uniform for the self-care house or the whatever? And creeps into legitimate things like play and like rests. And someone will say, "Well, why aren't you doing this?" Oh, I'm just, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm resting. I'm playing. That's why. Well, you've been playing now for like, you know, it's like seven hours. Like maybe we should like make dinner, or maybe you should get up and go to work or something like that. Uh, and so certainly we can make excuses for those things. We can neglect responsibilities. Play can become an idol, right? Play can become very quickly an idol. It can become a controlling passion and desire in our lives, replacing God. And, of course, it can, it can lead to addiction, okay? It can lead to addiction. What about play used as in a, when it's used as a distraction or a diversion? I would suggest that we go astray with play, um, we can, and here's what I mean very specifically. We can use play to cover up or cope with challenges instead of addressing them. So I'm not saying that play in order to take your mind off something for a bit is a bad thing. I think that's a great thing. But I'm saying there are some people, the way they cope with their brokenness or their challenges is they just go play. They don't, they don't do anything to fix it. Maybe that's too painful. Maybe that's too hard. Maybe they, maybe they require too much effort. Whatever, whatever the case may be, you know what I need to get to? I need to get to the weekend. We'll play a little bit, feel a little better. Okay? And so play is something that really distract. I'm using play, again, a legitimate category. I'm using play and rest to distract and tell a little story about why I'm not taking responsibility for my own life. Okay? And then finally, identity crisis. Identity crisis. In play... We can adopt identities and even certain kinds of respect that carry little to no weight in the real world. It becomes tempting, therefore, to build our identity there where we are successful and admired. So this is the strangest thing that happened. Remember I said these games are imaginary spaces. But here's the thing. People build these identities in imaginary spaces. Have y'all heard of the game Halo? Okay, Halo, right? I played Halo in high school. Oh, I saw that. Yeah, I, I did see that's coming out. Anyways, Halo. Um, so Halo is a um, it's a game where you, you 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 shoot people and they try to shoot you and it's fun. All right, that's the, it's, a, it's a little it's, it's a, it's a little little yeah. little more, little more nuanced than that. Yeah, open. Thank you, open world. Um, all right, we'll talk. To, um, it's an open world shooter. Uh, and, and so, but here's the thing, uh, Halo kind of almost took on, people could play Halo in such a way that it almost took on a life of its own, so much so that you would have people, do I have a hole in my shirt? You've got to be kidding me. Too much play. <laughs> That's right. Um, so, Halo, uh, people were playing Halo so much, that, and people were getting so good, that you had people who were rising in like world rankings, and there was a, it became its own thing. And so you had the world rankings of Halo and World of Warcraft is another one. In fact, my one of my I'm adopted. One of my biological brothers was in the top ten in the world, World of Warcraft, and made money by logging into other people's profiles and destroying other people for them. I'm dead serious. I'm dead serious. He actually just did it a while ago. Uh, I'm, 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 to- I'm totally serious about this. Um, and he was fl- anyway. So here's the thing. He built himself, let's, let's, uh, whether it's Halo or whether it's World of Warcraft, someone can build themselves an identity in one of these made-up worlds. 
And then, because we really enjoy looking in on a lot of these made-up worlds, probably sports much more so than video games, they can try to take the identity that they make in that world and use that as the identity when they step back into the real world. Right? Michael Phelps had a 2000... Michael Phelps the most decorated uh, Olympian in any sport of all time. Okay? Total stud, swimmer, if you're not aware. Uh, at a 2018 panel... He recounted words that he said to his wife after he retired from swimming. And he said was, all he said was, I feel like I am failing in everything that I do. Mm. What happened? What happened was he was in an imaginary world where you swim unaided and there's rules and there's times and there's limits and there's goals. And he crushed it. He was the king. And he realized that that identity in many ways didn't transfer over well to the real world. So when he stopped swimming, and he's talked, he's been vocal about his struggles with this. Who, who was he? Who was my, like, who am I now? I've built an identity in the play world. Um, I was watching a, a golfer give an interview the other day, prolific, prolific golfer, who um, said, well, um, what I realized is that my whole identity is wrapped up in being a golfer. And when I stop playing golf, I don't know who I am. Like, I don't know what to do. I understand this world. I understand pars and bogeys, and, and I understand lifting trophies and make, trying to make a cut and not. And I try to take that identity and take that back into the real world. But if you're saying I can't do that because of injury, or maybe the time comes where I have to hang it up, I don't know how to function anymore. I don't have an identity. And so... Um, Play goes awry when we build an identity around whatever we're doing in play. And this could be anything, by the way. It could be crafting. It could be making things. It doesn't just have to be sports. Yes, sir? What about like Hulk Hogan? Because he's built his whole life over that identity. So, so I mean... He's made so much money. He's, made, he's more known for that than his actual birth identity. So would that be a detriment? Or? Um, I mean, so... You tell me, brother. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's a great response, actually. You tell me. <laughs> so Hulk Hogan is someone who has marketed himself for business purposes, though. So I'm saying not all that is play. And a lot of that isn't play. Okay, Hulk Hogan stepping into that ring, um, taking uh, Oxycontins for pain and trying to, because uh, he's hurting so bad, and, and then, and then um, building his brand up as a business uh, you know, it's not. It's not what I would consider play. What I would consider, I don't. In other words, I don't think he would be doing that if they gave him ten million dollars a year to be uh, do something else. Right. He was doing that for utilitarian purposes. I'm talking about people who love the game. They thrive at the game. They get injured or something. And I read multiple accounts that I didn't include in here of athletes, especially who were injured right before they got drafted or something like that. All, or maybe after the couple of years in the NFL, they're thriving. They got a big contract. They forget, they don't know like what to even do. They have a total identity crisis, and there's a whole um, there is a whole field now trying to to develop. And I forgot the name they use, but trying to work on in psychology life after sports for athletes because they just don't know. They have built their identity in a play world. Okay? Okay, so let's, in conclusion then, we, we've covered some good ground, and I hope to, again, sketch a framework for play that is broader than what we think, that is voluntary, that is non-utilitarian, enjoyable activity 
Um, that's a rest for our normal labors that reflects a good God who is at play in creation. We play in a variety of ways that reflect that. That play is, is a taste of recreation. And because everyone's soul longs for that, and every, whether or not they know God, that's why it has such incredible appeal. And that's why everyone's trying to get to pass their work to playtime or trying to even get uh, to the weekend. There's a larger theological story that explains that. So what are a couple strategies for playing well? Okay, as we land the planer. What are a couple strategies for playing well? Let me look at my, my time. How am I on top? Oh, I'm doing okay. Okay. So first, calendar... By the way, I'll ask that later. Uh, calendar regular time for pure play. Because of what I said earlier about how play gets squeezed out, like it's not going to happen unless you put it in there. Well, because a lot of us have adopted, well, when do I play? After all the work is done. Well, guess what? Especially if you have a certain personality, the work's never done. There's always something around your house to do. There's always another spreadsheet to work on. There's always another something. And so if you're just always waiting for all the work to be done, and you can never leave something undone to play, you're not going to play. Or you're going to struggle to do so. Um, So... Calendar time for pure play. I would say extended periods of time for play. Maybe take a week off. These are things like vacations, etc. Um, but also play that you have available at the drop of the hat. Have some play that you don't have to like plan a ton, you know, a whole event for. Maybe have some elements of play around your house. They could be a board game. They could be books because you like reading. They could be schedule play that doesn't require a ton of planning and a huge runway to go stand up. So you can have play and you can even sprinkle it throughout your day. So I'm just saying that if you don't calendar regular time for pure play, and I say pure play um, because I'm not talking about, oh, I'm going to I'm gonna try to hit two birds with one stone. I'm going to, you know, knock this out and it's also I'm going to play and it's also going to accomplish this over here. Remember, that's someone who's trying to cheat because they just can't bring themselves to do pure play. It's not productive enough. Oh, it's not productive enough. No. Okay? In fact, like even in a setting like this, for example, so we're going to have a teaching here, all right? Then we're going to have a Q&A, right? Then we're going to eat. And then it would be very tempting for some people to say, all right, teaching's over. It's time to head out. i got stuff to do at the house. Well, how do we, our event doesn't end until 12 o'clock. We're playing for, 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 for two hours. Uh, but this is kind of like trickle-out time. You say, but isn't that kind of, if you're honest, like wouldn't that be a fairly natural disposition to adopt? We come here, the productive part is over, right? Tyler has, we're done listening to him talk. I have now eaten, so my belly is saturated. My goals have been accomplished, and now I'm just waiting to leave. So can I head out now? See, I mean, we buy, we, we, are, we drink the productivity stuff so much that we have in our business world and even our efficiency in our home world that we struggle to carve out time for pure play. We really do. And some of us even feel bad about it. We're sitting there playing, thinking about how much there is to do, and it ruins your play. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done here. So if you want to make some strides here, calendar time for pure play. So set goals for productivity. This is very important, especially if you have a personality, a certain personality. Set goals for productivity. Excuse me. So more is not always the answer to what needs to be done. 
And look at all, all the things that need to be done at your house. All the things, whatever. Okay, so what am I going to do today? And then how can I play? How am I going to play? I'm going to set goals and I'm going to leave things undone because, again, if more is always more is going to be the answer, you're, you're not going to get around to playing. Okay? You struggle perhaps with the distorted Protestant work ethic. Okay. And I say it's all the caveats that there are certain seasons of life where you got to get things done. I mean, I get it. This is not some kind of counseling session where I'm addressing each person's individual uh, situation. Try new ways of playing, especially with friends. Try new things. Try new things. Um, you may end up really enjoying things that you didn't even know you enjoyed just because, hey, I, I don't want to go try something new. Well, why not? Why don't you try something new, especially with friends? I think I mentioned this last time, a couple times last year, um, that if you're going to go on a vacation, maybe consider going with, uh, with friends. I mean, most people go on a vacation, uh, and it doesn't have to be anything elaborate. Go head on over to Gap- Gatlinburg. Oh, great times, a cabin in Gatlinburg. But, I mean, do your friends ever go on vacation? Oh, you're going to find out. Guess what? Occasionally, they go on vacation too. So there's this idea, this crazy idea you could come up with. Like, why don't we go to the same place? Why don't, why, don't we do, why don't we do that together? It's a great way to play. My wife and I have had some great times um, going on vacation with friends. And it's basically like going on vacation without friends, except your friends are there. Okay? I know that's profound, right? But, but my point is it's not, it's not difficult. It doesn't take like a ton of extra planning. But, but it is. it changes the dynamic in a way that is really, 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 really cool in my opinion. Um, so whether that's vacation or just uh, yeah, other things. Uh, there are things that I'd like to try uh, in terms of playing that I haven't tried yet, and I'd like to do that with friends uh, as well. Okay, so to the best of your ability, be all there when you're playing. We all know that person on the golf course. Well, maybe you don't know the person on the golf course. We all know that person playing who always is checking, always got to deal with this next thing. And sometimes, hey, sometimes you're on a, a standby or whatever at work, right? Sometimes you got someone, Ben's got a, a friend with a medical situation right now. He's got a, a wife has a potential car problem or whatever. Hey, sometimes you have to be, sometimes you have to, you know, be connected in order to be responsible, right? But to the best of your ability, to the best of your ability, try to be all there when you're playing. Same thing goes with I'm trying to play while I entertain all the problems of the rest of my life. It ruins your play. Try to make an effort to play. To play, not play to get something. Just be there. Let that be your world for that hour or that two hours or whatever. Check out. Play. Enter that imaginary world. Enter that food and that drink and whatever that is. And then you can continue on. Express thanks to God when you've played well to create muscle memory for the blessing of play. The truth is there are a lot of people who either don't play enough or don't know how to play well. Um, there's a ton of different reasons for that. It's something that can get very complicated. Um, but when you've had a really good time playing, it's a great practice to just thank God um, and thank Him as often as you can for good play. I mean, you thank God for things like health. You thank God for X, Y, and Z. But thank Him for just good play. Wow, what a great, what, what great play that was. You will develop your muscle memory for wanting more play like that, you'll become better at playing and you'll become more grateful as a result. Another, another practical strategy, find ways to do regular activities playfully. 
Okay? Um, I had a friend... So this is actually a little bit different. This isn't, this, is a, not even, this isn't so much playing. This comes from another aspect of the literature of a guy who thinks that we should do theology playfully. He takes the theology of play and says we should do, when we come to the enterprise of theology, we should do that with a playful spirit. Whatever that, I don't know, if I'm honest, I really don't know even exactly what he means by that. But I had a friend in high school who could just always turn regular things and do them playfully. And he was like the happiest kid I've ever met. And I'm almost, I mean, he gave me a run for my money in terms of never having a bad day. I mean, this guy was always smiling and he'd be like, are we folding laundry? All right, you got to close your eyes and pull out a random thing. Okay, and if it's a primary color, you gotta do a jumping jack. I mean, he would do. He used to do these things. They're just like, dude, how do you even come up with some of this um, stuff? And, and and some of it was super lame. But he was able to do things playfully. He was able to find ways to do things playfully, even that were regularly um, perhaps a bit mundane. Or he would set himself up little rewards for doing playfully. So he would go stack like little. Okay, if I get this, I'm gonna get. I'm going to reward myself with X, Y, and Z. So he would have a playful disposition to it. Maybe you add music while you're doing your chores. Maybe you have a movie on in the background while you're uh, folding your laundry. There are ways to element. There, there are ways to do things playfully um, while you're even doing things that are uh, more or less regular. I bet he did a lot of jello shots. Uh, he, yeah, he, 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 he did a lot more than that. But yeah, he certainly did some jello shots. It's, and some, anyways, so so um, find people. This is another good one. This is all. I feel like I smuggle this one into like every application. So you'll see me recycling this one for like the next fifteen years. Find people who do X well and imitate them, and find out what they do. Like if you find people who play well, like man, you see, they're always having a good. Like, they, they seem to really understand play. They seem to really understand play. Uh, why don't you just figure out what they're doing? Get inside their mind. Like, what does that look like? I remember listening to a pastor um, who, who, oh, wait, oh wait, am I going to give that away? Hold on one second. Okay, no, I'm not going to give it away. Here we are. A, a pastor who uh, was saying, my wife and I, one of the things that really helped us in ministry was we learned how to play more, and we learned to play. One of the ways we learned how to play was to um, uh, oh wait, that's that's where I, that's where I thought I was coming. I skipped one. Did y'all notice that? Mm-hmm. Someone said, "I said Tyler, what are you doing?" No. Okay. So this is where I meant to tell this illustration. So after find ways to do regular activities, identify small graces and victories in your life and family, uh, and celebrate more frequently. I think I left a word out there. Identify small graces and victories in your life and family and to celebrate more frequently. So this, pa- this is what this pastor was saying. He said, one of the things that really sustained us in ministry is we were finding things to celebrate. We intentionally found things to celebrate. We weren't waiting for a birthday or for someone to graduate. Like we set the bar much lower. We set the bar much lower. Okay? Well, a win at a kid's soccer game. We, we were finding reasons to celebrate. We were, as a, as a family... Um, and so much so, people were like, man, y'all sure do a bunch of celebrating. Y'all sure do a bunch. And they was like, yeah, like we do. We do. And it provides a lot of healthy play in our lives that otherwise we wouldn't have it in the exact same way. And so maybe that's another practical way for you to do that. Find small little graces, small victories in your life uh, and family and celebrate those things. And you can do those more frequently. You don't have to wait for a milestone to celebrate. It doesn't have to be something huge. Okay, you can celebrate small things that happen 
in your family. And then now finally then is the find people who play well uh, and imitate them. Uh, you probably not likely imitate the exact details because you're what you like how how you like to play will probably not be exactly how they like to play. Uh, well, it, it it may not be the same, but you can still understand how they kind of strategize, how they get at it, how do they enter, how do they interweave patterns of play into the rhythm of their life. Talk with someone who you just think does that well, or, or yet you have noticed does that well because those people. God-fearing men and women who know how to play well live wise lives. They live wise lives. And, they, and frankly, they live a lot more fun lives. Serious. You might make more money, but they're having more fun. I'm dead serious. And they're having fun to the glory of God. And they're tasting recreation more than the person pounding it out for the next six figures. Let me close with this quote. This is a, this is a really moving quote when I, uh, when I read through this material says, if play serves merely to divert rather than to give hopeful perspective, it can actually prevent serious transformative engagement with a world badly in need of redemption. An eternal perspective, however, that's what I've suggested so far, an eternal perspective, however, should lead, both, uh, should lead to both diligent, earnest engagement with gospel ministry and restful playfulness as we trust in God who knows the beginning from the end. The sovereign grace of God frees Christians to play seriously even in the midst of suffering all around us in a fallen world. Listen to this. Paradoxically, there is a vital connection between suffering and play. Those who most recognize the difficulty of life in a fallen world are often able to play and laugh best. Play and playfulness can serve to remind those who are burdened and heavy laden that there is rest and restoration on the way. These moments of emancipation can remind the faithful of the ultimate liberation coming when God makes all things new. In other words, recreation or recreation. Okay. So, um, there, so in, in conclusion, I hope that this gives you a framework to think better about play from a biblical perspective. Um, and it could be that you, you're someone who's, who suffers from uh, over-indexing on the Protestant work ethic. It could be someone that you are, are always calendaring out. Uh, uh, you're, not, you're not calendaring play, and so it always gets squeezed out. It could be that you feel guilty when you're playing because you should be stewarding your time better. And I hope that understanding play like this is helpful in putting that together in your life because it will enrich your life. We were made to play in one day, in one day that, that is theologically, I believe, one of the culminations of all of redemptive history. Okay?